Interior. Night. Recording studio. Two redheads begin pre-show warm-ups. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Jack, write that you gargle your water or something. Jack gargles some water. And then put that we say, welcome to Script Shop. Who? Me or you? Mm-hmm. You say it. Welcome to Script Shop. N- no, but like, really, say it. Like, right now. Like, right now. Let's go for it. Welcome to Scrimshaw. No, Jack. Top. <laughs> Omaha. No, Jack. Welcome to Script Shop. Hello. Welcome to Script Shop. It's our podcast where we talk to screenwriters. My name is Jack, and I don't like to be too obvious. Hi, I'm Allison. Hmm. I don't think you've ever heard me use this somber tone before. No, I don't know if somber is the right word for it. What if I start <laughs> thinking about like death and oh. things? Now now oh. does my tone matter? Well, yeah, I, it mattered before. It's just it, I, somber wasn't the label that I would put on it. What would you have labeled me as? I feel like you were kind of talking in a sexy voice, to be honest <laughs> with you. You were being all whispery. You were being all whispery and intense. And I'll just I think know. about dead people next time I want to <laughs> seduce somebody. Set the channel it. See what happens. Well, hi everybody. You made it. <laughs> well, it's if you're listening on the day the show came out, it's Wednesday. Woo woo! Oh God, Wednesday. Why aren't you Friday? It's almost. It's very close. I was just feeling Wednesdays. Jack and Frank both just looked at me in mm-hmm. alarm. Like, what is happening to you? This is our podcast where not only do we talk to screenwriters about their work, but also about days of the week and what sort of emotional effect they have on us. And uh, where they are in the world, what they might be doing, and what they've written in their scripts and what it means to them and why they're the only person who could have possibly written it. We love talking to screenwriters about their work, so if you have a message or a story that you want to share with the world, get online and submit it to us. Go for it. Keep going. Show. I can't. I don't know why I even went with the www. Well, http colon slash slash <laughs> www. This is an internet thing. Dot s c r i p t s h o p s h o w dot com dot com backslash s u b m i t. That's the word submit. Uh, for those of you who are listening, like maybe driving and really off put by everything we did to you just now. Uh, one of the people who did send us something uh, through Film Freeway, which is the other way you can find us, filmfreeway.com. Look up Script Shop Show and you can send us your stuff. Uh, our guest today is Gabriel Galland, who sent us a script called Before the Fall. Dun, dun, dun. It is a, 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 it's a 12 page family genre, end of the world short. Yes. Yeah. Uh, lots of big, big philosophical social thoughts pressed into 12 pages, mm-hmm. but Ga- Gabriel does an amazing job of tripping lightly through his thought process on this script. Well, and it's really interesting. It's not so much about, like, if you were if the script were to be turned into a film, it's not so much about, like, watching the meteor hit. It's more right. about people knowing that stuff. It, it's a very, like, specifically small, personal kind of story. Right. About the, the human experience and, of it. And about the run-up to the big thing happening, yeah. I, which I think is super cool. Yeah. Um, so what else do we normally talk about in the beginning of the show? We talk about Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We can talk about if anybody has any, uh, buccarinos. Buccarinis. <laughs> Why do you keep saying that? <laughs> it's funny to say. Um, Frank, you want to help yeah. us out Honestly, here? It, it, it doesn't matter because I'm not sure how much more time we really have. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we did the. Is this where we just tell everybody that we already did the interview with Gabriel? I was referring to the end of the world. But... Oh, oh God. <laughs> oh. <laughs> 
You guys, uh, <laughs> I wasn't sure what he was referring to either. Well, I just wish I was a little bit more clever sometimes and could hop on to the jokes that you guys are making before I ruin them. <laughs> so we mentioned buccarinos and buccarinis. If you uh, have a couple extra of those and you want to send us send them our way, you can go on to uh, Patreon.com and look up Script Shop Show, and uh, you could support us uh, as artists financially, which mm-hmm. we would greatly appreciate. We've got some ideas on what we would do with that, and uh, that'd be cool. Yep. Just another option for you. Yeah. Okay. I, th- I think we're ready to talk to our artists as the thing. I think we should probably just jump right into it uh, and talk to Gabriel. Gabriel Galand is our guest, and we've got him uh, on Skype right now. Gabriel, yeah. you there? Yeah, I'm here. Hi. Hi. Gabriel, hi. Welcome to the show. Thank you. You're, uh, you're French-Canadian? No, I'm actually French, but I live in Canada now, in, the, in Vancouver. Okay, and are you, so you're speaking to us in, in Vancouver, in, in Canada somewhere? Actually, I'm right now in Quebec on holiday, and I'm in um, a lake zone uh, near Mont-Tremblant, and the Wi-Fi is so bad that I just decided to go out on the lake <laughs> on the paddleboard. So I'm on a paddleboard right now, calling you. There's wait. no one around, just water. Yeah. Wait, wait. You're on, you're, you're, on a, you're on a boat or a paddle board? No, no, uh, no, no. I'm not on a paddle board. I'm on a paddle boat. Paddle boat. Least. The yes. ones with the little things for your feet to <laughs> Yeah. Go? Yes, yes. Yeah, yes. those things are fun. <laughs> this is great. These are, well, you know, so we had Adelena Perez. We have the Perez, show sometimes. Our guest, uh, a previous guest, Adelena Perez, who wrote Not That Nice. We talked to her as she was riding a bus yes. from New York to Washington. Yep. And now Gabriel's our, our first interview on the water. That's amazing. I think legally, the way it works now, I think technically we're in the Merchant Marines now. Are we? I'm pretty sure, like, That's legally amazing. we are. I think so. I think we can say that. airways for, you know, naval communication. Uh, well, Gabriel, you, were you born in France? Yes. And yes, then, I was born in France, and I've also lived for a while in England, in Australia, and also in South Korea. Mm-hmm. What, wow. what keeps you moving around so much? Um, films. I love filmmaking. I love discovering new cultures. That's part of how I make films. Mm-hmm. And uh, I also really like to make um, you know, genre films. And it's just better in the U.S. and Canada. So, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> what do you mean, like, um, you know, you like to travel when you make films? Do you specifically make work inspired by new countries to you? Yeah, this is something that is very important to me. So, I've directed five films so far, short films, uh, in France, in the UK, in Korea, and Switzerland. And I just love making films abroad, discovering new cultures. And for example, my stay in Korea, it really impacted me uh, as an artist. Uh, it gave me the confidence I needed. Because you know when you come from a huge film industry center, such as LA, uh, Paris, Mumbai, maybe Atlanta now, it's just there's so much competition. It's just hard to find yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And I just think that traveling to make a film is just a great way to discover your voice. Mm. I think that's excellent. And then you get to take in all sorts of uh, culture and, and people and, and sort of digest that then as you create something. Yes. And of course, you should stay true to yourself. You're merging two cultures, essentially, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the, that's the fun part. Um, in the script we have today before the fall, it, it yes. has an American tone. Mm-hmm. Uh I'm assuming yes. because we have a president in this one. I wondered, um, so when you travel around, do you go and live in the country, experience it for a while, and then just kind of see what comes out of you at that point? Or do you go to the country with an idea about what you want to explore and talk about? So usually I will be in the country before I write it, before this one. I actually wrote this one two years ago when I was preparing my move to America. 
it was you know I, this this script um, in particular I wrote it in 2016 you know during the Brexit thing and the U.S. election. Mm -hmm. Of course, I don't need to recap what happened. There's even a book about it. So mm -hmm. uh, just so like during that time of turmoil, and I, I just thought you know how does it work for politicians? Do they have uh, support when they take decisions that are really difficult? And I started researching about that, and it turns out, you know, they're not allowed to have a psychologist. <gasps> You're um, kidding me. No yeah. way. I didn't um, know you that. Can, you, can, you know, if you have Twitter, you know there's <laughs> a psychologist in the White House, right? <laughs> <laughs> so that time in 2016 when everything was feeling chaotic, that sort of inspired you to write this script, which is, it's a disaster sort of story, but it's, it's it, because it's yes. called Before the Fall, it's very much in yes. a, a setup to just before the bad stuff actually goes down. Exactly. Yeah. We don't actually see any of it happen. And, I, you know, I, w I didn't want to go into politics. So it's just really about how do you fictionalize a catastrophe like this? Mm -hmm. And um, so I was just thinking, you know, it's about the chaos surrounding an extinction level event. And I'm just trying to bring it back to a human story. So focusing on a single mother uh, with two children. And um, basically, this mother is called urgently by her biggest client. Uh, she, uh, the client, the high-ranking official, she needs to make a decision, right? Should I warn the world or not? And so this therapist is in the middle of it, and then she just, you know, it feels like real time. She needs to get to her children, and she, she's got a one-hour one hour head start because uh, before this news um, reaches the world. So she's got one hour to get her kids and just, like, drive and just try to survive, right? Wow. I like the idea of this person being a therapist for the president, and then because she does get that sort of inside information, yeah, she's kind of hitting the road with her kids before anybody else does, but it kind of does, it doesn't really do her any good in the end, right? Not really. I mean, intentionally, I thought that probably she would not make it, but, you know, she'll, she'll mm -hmm. try at least, and that's the scary part, right? We don't know. We never know. So, yeah, I, uh, I just wanted to focus on that kind of real-time feeling, um... And there's, I don't know if you, yeah, if you read the script, like in the end, it, it gets pretty dramatic because people are out on the streets. There's no more laws. It's, she's just trying to survive with her children. Before we get too deep into this script specifically, sure. to talk about how you've gone to these different cultures, some of the themes of the scripts that, that have been born out of these other trips. Basically, just, uh, I guess I just as a person, I just, uh, I love, you know, traveling, meeting new cultures, gastronomy. And I'm actually really happy right now because I love American culture. So I'm really happy to be here and for you to have me on the, on the radio. <laughs> and on, aside from that, uh, maybe perhaps my journey, my journey as a writer, um, it's actually pretty interesting because, you know, in, in France, we have our own screen, screenplay format, which is basically whatever, whatever you want. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's, pretty, it's, it's really strange, right? It looks like theater. Sometimes it looks like a commercial. Sometimes it looks like live TV. We, we never know. Uh, and even big directors do that, right? So the first time I saw the standard uh, Hollywood uh, format, I was like, what is this anxious detective-like font doing on this page? You know, <laughs> I'm not writing a detective story. There's no typewriter. And uh, it was really hard, actually, for me to just, you know, because I was used to, you know, I'll choose my font, I'll choose what I want to say. And so I had a lot of problems with that. And then until the day I read uh, the pilot of Breaking Bad, and I was like, wow, mm. and that's poetry. That's screenwriting poetry. And mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, it's possible to be interesting in a script, despite that detective fonts from the 40s, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so I've been like really trying for the last uh, two years to really go into screenwriting. And uh, because I started as a, as a director of photography and a director. And essentially, I want to be a director, not a screenwriter. But I just feel like it's, it's just silly to be a director without knowing about scripts. 
so as a director, I really like genre films, you know, like uh, Soil and Green or The Wrath of God or Planet of the Apes. Yeah. And uh, recently I like films like Monsters or Arrival. Uh, and mm. just, you know, trying to do this kind of films, um, I just realized, uh, you know, I kind of like found my style. Actually, it was pretty funny because the same thing with style as the script is that I was always scared about, you know, when people ask, what's your style? I said, well, my style is I make movies. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, I started going into it. And then this funny thing happened. I was talking with my, with my wife, who's also a, a filmmaker. We were just discussing and we realized that all my films, themes of death, uh, grief and loss mm. all of them it's just something you know personal i just i didn't realize it right and it, the thing is that the interesting thing is that it is a very dark theme it is a very dramatic theme but i like genre films so i always take that genre film approach with a very dark story but then I, you know i try to bring in some other fa fantastic or thrilling or you know uh, horror elements into the story for example uh i'm about to produce my first film in, in canada in september and it's a microfilm horror found footage uh, about a mother who confesses to having killed her child. Oh, in true Canadian, and in true Canadian fashion, it's called I'm Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. What is it about the, the horror elements that, that, that attract you or that you find work their way into your work so often? Coming from, from a European background of filmmaking, for me, the, the thing that struck me the most is the quality of the aesthetics in a horror film. It's just, you know, not until the Blair Witch Project, but even the Blair Witch Project has, has this, you know, particular aesthetic. It's, it's quite hard to, it's quite impossible to make a, horror, a successful horror film without a having a very defined color palette, you know, a union of work between production design and cinematography. And I just love that. It's really important for me to uh, decide beforehand how the film is going to look, how it's going to mm -hmm. feel. And that's why I like horror. You know, everything is planned out before. What do you think it is about yeah. these kind of penultimate moments that that have to do with like death and loss that really speak to you? Where do you think that comes from in you? So personally, uh, it's just something that uh, it's pretty interesting. I won't get too much into it, but basically, um, before I was born, I had a, a older brother who who died uh, as a baby, and somehow the grief was carried onto me. And I was born, you know, a year after his death. But somehow the grief, the grief lingered. And I, I had a really happy childhood, but it, this always lingered behind, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, yeah. just a, it's just a human thing, really. And, uh, and then after that, it just, yeah, then I realized, you know, that's when I went back to this. And it must be about my brother, who I never met. But I, I always felt this kind of, you know, someone missing in my life. Yeah. Uh, so, it's, yeah. And, it's not, and again, it's just strange for me because I never met him. So it's not like I have a pain in me, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's just, yeah, it's just one of those things. And then afterwards, it, it, from a dramatic standpoint, I don't think there's any better for an actor than facing death. Right. It's the ultimate motivation. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's the laws of survival. Well, I want to share a story with you. Um, sure. When I was young, when I was five, I had a sister who died and she was one year old. Now, yes. I, I have a brother named Chester, and Chester's 16. He's 13 years younger than I am. And when he was smaller, like maybe 10, we were in my hometown. I was visiting, and we were just walking down the street together. And we were all talking about my sister who had passed away, Rebecca. And Chester, who never, who has never known her, started crying. 
We said, Chester, what? Oh, my God. What's the matter? And he said, I have a sister that I get to meet. And it really yeah. upset him that there was this other person in his life as well that he loved, that the sadness yes. shaped our family yeah. and that he was part of that, even though he never got to meet her. Compassion. You see the pain in others that you love and you just take on that pain, you know, just either as a relief for the other person or just as a, as a, you know, just wanting to say that I'm alive and I share your pain with you because I love you. Yeah, and I think it's kind of it's this kind of thing that you know when you have, for example, an adopted child, it's something you should discuss when they're seven or eight. You know, we love you. You are adopted. This kind of reality is that it's just better not to hide. Mm-hmm. But it's also not healthy to just linger on it. So, uh, well, for example, yeah, I have a picture of him, uh, but you know, it's not right there when you come in the house. And mm-hmm. it's the same if I go to my parents' house. Uh, my grandparents will have a picture of him and their stories, and you know. Mm-hmm. What was his so name? Julien. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting because there's a lot of family ties in the script that you gave us as well. There's yeah. the relationship between the mother and the daughters, and I thought it was yes. really special that you focused on a family unit going through a crisis as yeah. the center of this particular story. Is that something that comes yes. up in your other stories as well? I think it's just something I've kind of learned to to do because it just works, and it's. I think it's also one of the core principles of uh, of Spielberg. Uh, you know, always come yeah. back to a small human story mm-hmm. uh, because then you can just imagine, have the audience imagine the worst possible things that are happening in the grand scale. But when we're watching War of the Worlds, we're focusing on Tom Cruise's relationship with the daughter. Right? right, not the military fighting the monsters. We yeah. see them, but we want to imagine that. We don't want to imagine the relationship between the father and the daughter. We need to see them. We need to feel their emotions. Yeah, in fact, in that movie specifically too. I mean, there are some big action set pieces in that film, but really, yeah. in terms of like like you're talking about the, a big confrontation between the military with planes and bombs, yes. that's all kind yes. of ancillary to the main story that they're telling yeah. of Tom and their kids just trying to run away. Yes. Yes, it's like one minute. <laughs> it's a really cool one minute, right? And I think that's also a, a, the one minute that makes a difference for yeah. the film. Yeah. But then there's like a, a half hour of, of hiding, a half hour mm-hmm. of, you know, making alliances with other people. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, you know, we go into the backstory of the uh, divorced family uh, uh, mechanics and all the dynamics, all of that. I wouldn't consider Spielberg as, you know, the the one the one kind of director that I'm looking after, but I really appreciate I appreciated what he said about bringing it back to a human story. And if I if I look at if I look at other directors that I like, like Guillermo del Toro or uh, you know Quaron in Yaritu, they also do that. I just you know you, you the the more the closer you get to a character, the more emotional you'll get, right? Because it hits you directly. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. So you mentioned uh, Guillermo del Toro, whose work has a very specific visual element to it. And one of the yeah. things that I jotted down right from the minute that I started reading your script and the, the way that you're setting up some of the scenes here in Before the Fall is that there's a lot of mood-setting imagery to start off with, especially a lot of that, the, the slow-motion shots that you're describing involving raindrops and puddles. Is yeah. that sort of a general way that you write in a very with, with some very distinct visuals spelled out like that? So... The, the thing is that this script is a shooting script. You know, I really, I was planning to, to shoot it, you know, sometime in the future. So I, I literally, you know, wrote a shooting script. It has camera and sound information, more 
things that are not part of the story, but it's just important for the film. And in general, the, the reason I did that in particular is that I'm trying to hit at a global feeling with a lower budget. I don't have the budget to show a scene in Korea of how Koreans are reacting. I don't have, a, you know, I don't have that kind of budget, but I can hint at it, mm-hmm. uh, trying to be, you know, trying to find uh, creative solutions. So, for example, from the script level, there's a lot of cross-cutting when we go to the end, because, you know, it doesn't matter if you're at the news station or the reporter at the, you know, the, uh, at the center of power, or you're in a, a deli, or you're in the car and she's listening to the radio, everyone is in the same emotion at the same time. So this is just creating this global feeling, right? It's happening everywhere at the same time. And then from a visual standpoint, what you were mentioning about the rain, it's just like, you know, I would love to have a tsunami wave in the end. That is fantastic, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I'm just thinking, why don't I just make a macro shot of a tsunami, you know, of a child's boots coming in a, in a puddle of water? Oh, because wow. essentially... You look down. This, mm. I mean, this is still expensive, right? You want to, it's still, it has to be nice, has to be well calculated, etc. But still, it, you know, it's like on a on a two meter scale. That's and very it's like smart. Making a, yeah. So you know, imagine like a, a child's boot falling, and then boom, impact, and then there's a huge wave, right? That is like twenty times the size of a, of, a, of an ant or something. Mm-hmm. So it's just like. And then it's just, you know, it's just real life. You know, the, the child j- jumps in the water and then the next second is doing something else. And, you know, that's what nature would do if, you know, there's an extension level event. You know, we are the ones that would be endangered, but not the planet. The planet is fine. Right. right? Yeah, it's, it's so, yeah, correct. <laughs> uh, I guess maybe that's a that, yeah. good place to jump into our, our reading from the script. Uh, since you did talk about uh, the mom being in the car with her kids, listening to the news, this woman, uh, yes. Iris, is a therapist for the president. And she's but, you know, one of the things I really like you did in the script, too, is the way it starts. You, you're not really spelling it out for anybody. You're just as you're reading the script and sort of feeling this story evolve in your head. Uh, you don't even know who she's meeting with at first. Right. Right. Yeah. It's only after the meeting. And we also the thing is that we don't know what they say in the meeting. Right. You know, it's confidential. And the, the president doesn't actually say, she, you know, he she just says. Um, you know, I have an important decision and the way she says it, pretty bad, right? Yeah. It's it's like uh, one could imagine, you know, is it war? Uh, is it just like a really other bad thing that could happen? I'm currently advising probably the most powerful person on the planet and she's worried. <laughs> so yeah. probably I should be too, right? Yeah. And then right after that, when she... The the, the the woman just leaves the room and Iris is there still sitting down, you know, in kind of like in chaos. It's like, what am I going to do? And then, you know, in the corridor, we say, Madam President, Madam President. And then, you know, we have the whole media commotion. And, and this is when, like, the action part of the film starts because, you know, she's got a one hour head start to get her kids right. and just get out. Right. Um, just to speculate here, why do you guys, why do you assume that the president isn't allowed to have a therapist? So I looked it up a bit. So the thing is that it's very, very difficult to get, uh, security clearance, right? Like half of the people in the white house don't have clearance right now. And it's just, you know, it's a normal thing. And Mm -hmm. then I think the other thing is that there's a precedence, you know, if you think of, for example, about Russia and Rasputin. You know, it was uh, Rasputin was always there, to kind of like uh, supposedly helping the family, but discreetly right. trying to bring in his uh, religious uh, um, agenda. You right. Know? Yeah. Always, 
So I think there's just a war. It's just better not to do it because, you know, we don't, are we going to listen to their conversation and tell them what to say or not? It's just, yeah. So we should probably jump into uh, a selection from yes. this script. We're going to read uh, scene nine here. Uh, we've got uh, Frank here in the studio. Say hi to everybody, Frank. Hey, how's it going? Frank's here. Uh, and hi, Frank. Frank, there we go. And uh, Gabriel, just uh, hang on a second, okay? Sure. Oh, and um, one other thing. In this reading, listeners, uh, Jack has been nominated and won the election is, and is reading the role of the president. Yes, who is a woman. Who, that's exactly right. In this universe, um, and hopefully in the future universe of America, mm-hmm. the president is a woman. Of course, we say this because we try to just make sure that the writer's intent stays as is. So Jack's going to be playing. It's not a pants role. I guess it could be. Whatever. I'm not going to get into the semantics of language in, okay. in historical theater roles. Okay. So Jack's going to be playing the president, which is a woman... Uh, is a woman in the script. Frank will be doing stage directions, and I, Allison, will be playing the other three women in the script, which is the therapist, I, um, Iris. Iris. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's just two. Iris, the therapist, and then her daughter, Lizzie. Great. So, Frank, whenever you're ready. Interior. Afternoon. Minivan. Iris looks at the radio carefully as if it was speaking to her. And therefore, I think it is my duty to address the world and tell you the truth as it stands. Interior, day, diner. A few people inside a small fast food restaurant turn their attention to the TV. Just an hour ago, my cabinet contacted heads of state around the world to let them know the situation. Interior, day, government conference room. We can see the president speaking on the podium. Two guards stand behind her. There is no easy way to say this, but we have strong reason to believe that the asteroid BH-17 has changed its trajectory and is now heading on a collision course with Earth. Interior, afternoon, minivan. Iris holds her breath for a second. We can see her desperation. Celia stops playing her game and looks at the radio. Are you crying, Mommy? Iris is looking at her phone. It reads, Update, President Warren to make a speech. Followed by, Breaking, Asteroid B-17 to hit Earth? Although the exact time and place of impact still has yet to be calculated, I ask you not to yield to panic. It's all right. It's all right. Interior, day, conference room, White House. The president's voice is overshadowed by the sound of people present in the room. We can hear them about incomprehensible words. Some are crying, others are laughing. Once again, I call upon citizens of this country to remain calm so we can prepare for this event. The room becomes more chaotic. We will face this challenge the same way we've faced any other we have encountered. Wait, no. The president is taken away from the stand and escorted out of the room. And scene. Gabriel, at the end of the scene, the president is carried out of the room. Yeah. Why? Is it, was she not... Was she going against orders yeah, here? Yeah, what happened? Yeah. I think it just became too dangerous, right? Because half of the room is really educated. They know they're probably going to die. So it's just a really, really difficult time. If you go to the White House press briefing room right now, uh, you know, it's just the jungle. <laughs> yeah. With, uh, I don't know, who is it, Sanders? It's just, it's just crazy, right? But imagine there was actually... Uh, none it was uh, you know like a really dramatic issue actually there are a lot of dramatic issues and they don't answer but imagine if like half of the people around the room know they're gonna die there's no more limits 
Well, and you talked you know, about they, the idea of like everybody sort of feeling the same way. If you if you've got the president yeah. giving an address to the nation, and then it, yes. it prematurely where there's scuttling and rushing around, that's going to amp up everybody's tension that much right. more. Yes, yes, I know. I that's kind of the thing also where it's great to you know let the audience wonder why she was taken out. You yeah. know, Secret Service. Maybe there's someone in the White House. Who, I don't know. I think I was also thinking. You know, that's it. You know, martial law has been declared in half of the states. Or there's a rebellion or, you know, it could be so many things happening. Uh, you know, it could also be someone in the room has a gun. You know, I, and I don't want to speculate because I think it's more interesting. If the audience is like, it's so bad that now the president, you know, the, she has to be taken out to the bunker. Wow. There's no time to. Yeah. So I think if we shoot the film, I will add some commotion in the room and just people going nuts. Right. And just like wanting to you know, get really close to the president and just be like, is this for real? Is this for real? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just like, like desperate. Yeah. yeah. You can't allow people to come too close. Right. Uh, so I have it that people are just getting too edgy and they're coming too close so for her safety. She has to be uh, taken somewhere else. Mm-hmm. I think that's that. Yeah. The, the terrifying. We, we've had a few people who've written some very scary and horror sort of scripts. And I, some of the things that we've talked about, one of the things that really scares me the most isn't really so much about, you know, some kind of monster or an alien or a zombie. The, but the, the, the simple sort of scary about what other people just are can do or are willing to do. Uh, I think that yeah. makes, to me that makes it scarier because it feels like it's more realistic. Yeah, I mean, you can imagine, you know, like, that's it, you know, the, not even the president is safe yeah. anymore, right? And you're on radio, and then, you know, then you go to the, the news channels, and then the commentators, they're just trying to, you know, explain what's happening, but they don't know. So it's completely mess, right? We have no idea what's going on. Uh, you know, ladies and gentlemen, the, the feed was interrupted. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Which also, <laughs> as, which also yeah. as a broadcaster, uh, not knowing what's going on and trying to do a story on it is a huge fear. Yeah. Just, uh, <laughs> just for the record, that's terrifying as a broadcaster. The idea of you're carrying the president and then something like that happens. And then the, all of a sudden yeah. they've thrown it back to you to keep on narrating oh, like life and yeah. keeping an entry of the yeah. world. And then... Forget about the it. thing is that if, if you are a sensible network, try to reassure people, you right? Know, you know, maybe there's a feed, you know, you try to be serious and say, Oh, oh, maybe the the, the network uh, had uh, this issue again. We had this issue like last month, you know, make up a story about how the feed is not working, right? Well, and just the idea or that you, if you don't know what's yeah. happening, you can't, you don't want to speculate and make people's fears yeah. even worse. Right. So you're just trying yeah. to, and you're just mm-hmm. desperate for somebody to finally yeah. say, Yeah, go to a commercial. See, I think you could make a whole film about the 10 different interpretations, you know, of what this would mean. The deep state has finally made a, uh, what's it called, uh, an uprising. You know, yeah. it's so many, <laughs> so many things. It's just, and you know, like it's real for, 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 the, for those networks. It will be very real, right? So, you know, they're watching and they'll be like, yeah, 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 yeah. Deep state, yeah. Yeah, right. So, <laughs> yes. Um, I did notice that this is a very female heavy script. You have a mother, you have two young daughters, and you have a woman president. Um, was that a conscious choice on your part to make all of these major roles women? Yeah, it is. Not until my last short film, I haven't had uh, women playing important characters. And I just felt like I was just recreating, you know, I'm a man and I'm just thinking about men stuff. And I don't want to write women roles because I'm scared of writing like a man. And then one day I was like, this is just silly. I'll just write it and then I'll just decide what is the sex of the person afterwards. Right. Yeah. This is the same thing that happened for um, uh, Alien, the first one, 
right? Oh, that's right. It was not meant to be. A, it was not meant to be a woman. It was. It was a man. And then in the end, it was like, let's make it a woman. It just makes. It just makes sense. It's normal. And on top of that, it's missing. So it's just mm-hmm. exciting, right? Well, and so, then that played into I, so many other themes yeah. in the show too, with having children and yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I think they, so. That's one thing. Then the other thing is that uh, clearly, I, I, I don't want to be part of the problem anymore. So I just want to make sure that I am giving enough roles, you know, to whoever is the talent, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't want to be. I don't want to be locked in on the page anymore. That I'm looking for men. Actually, right now I'm casting, and one of the secondary roles in the script is uh, the main. The main character is a woman, and a second character is is a boy, and and we just have a. Uh, a girl that that sent us her CV for the the script, and she says, "Please consider me. I just really want to audition for this part." And you know why not? Yeah, yeah. I'll change the I'll change the, the the character to to a girl, you know, or or not. But you know, it's it's okay. I just want to see the talent. Talent comes first mm-hmm. before everything else. I think that's great. Right? I think that works. Uh, that's probably one of the biggest rules in Hollywood, right? We just let's see the talent. Uh, we don't know who is the talent until we see it right in front of our eyes. Right? And then it's, it's, it's so weird that we hadn't seen that person before. It's like, how come? Uh, I think then the, the story-wise, you know, if, if I'm saying I'm writing this script, and in this case, I am choosing uh, a, a gender, it's because I'm kind of looking at the maternal instinct. Uh, and, you know, you can't have... It, I mean, it would be difficult to have a man with a maternal instinct, right? That would be a, its own thing, mm-hmm. but right now I'm looking at you know the maternal instinct and how that plays out. And in this film, uh, you know how how does the maternal instinct uh, play out when you know half of the world's gonna die, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. Uh, or more, right? Yeah, because what do you do? There's only one thing. I, I I would say that suddenly the the you know the urges in you is like you don't exist anymore. The only thing that matters is your children. Right. As a, um, as a new mother, yeah. it makes me think about like what I would do if mm-hmm. it was the end of the world. Yeah. And my yeah. gut reaction is to comfort, to like pick up yeah. a baby and just comfort it. Mm-hmm. That's what I would do. Yeah. Do you think that'll maybe evolve as uh, baby Olive grows up and, you know, maybe Back like... talks to me? Well, not so much. That... <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking more in terms of like being able to walk and or run on her own. Perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, if you think you have an hour left. Right. Before the world explodes, what are you going to do with that? You know? Well, so in the case of this yeah. script, uh, Iris sort of drives to kind of the middle of nowhere, right? Has Goes to some cabin? Yeah. Yeah, she, no, I think she's just driving up, trying to get high ground as much as possible. That right? makes sense. It's kind of the same thing. It's kind of the same thing. I don't remember if it's, I think it's Deep Impact. Deep Impact, yeah. Where they do that. Uh, you know, it's just like, and, you know, it's funny because in the film, you know, just a, just 20 meters will save your life, right? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so, so dramatic that they're running through the forest and on motorbike. Yeah, they don't get I stuck mean, in the traffic. Like, yeah. That's just movie movie magic, right? But uh, it works. Well, and I didn't want yeah. to bring Deep Impact up because I didn't want to act like you're, what you wrote was... It, it, yeah. it, there were some elements of it that made me think of yeah. Deep Impact because that movie was... Because, you know, that movie and Armageddon came out like right around the same yeah. time. And Deep Impact... Yeah, it was that time. It, and it was Deep Impact time. was so much more focused on the emotional aspect of it and specifically like what you've written here in Before the Fall, the idea yeah. of the fear and the human element before the disaster hits. Yes, yes. Deep Impact is interesting because I don't think it's a masterpiece, but it's certainly a good watch, right? Mm-hmm. And I love it. Amazing actors, a great direction. I mean, it's, it's a good film, you know? Um, but you know, it's also very niche. And that's why, you know, 
the thing is that I think I guess in Deep Impact the thing is about the relationship between this journalist that wants to make it and then you know uh, also being becoming honest and you know the whole relationship with the president that's the kind of story they're aiming it on uh, and certainly it, it did influence me but it's also because I'm researching you know uh, extin- extinction level events movies and uh, you know there aren't that many there's a lot more now but you know there aren't that many you know you, you said armageddon i'm also thinking for example f- things like uh movies like contact mm-hmm. also had the kind of like feeling uh but yeah yeah this, uh, definitely i would count it as a, as a, as an inspiration i think i don't know yeah something i guess i can talk about that now is also i've been making short films right and then right now i'm writing two features right now and i'm hoping you know to start pitching them in the in the next few years once i have more drafts and one of the strategies I was developing is like, why don't I make a short and then I pitch the, the feature and say, the, the feature feels the same. It's the same kind of story. This story worked. So, you know, this one should work too, right? Mm-hmm. So, for example, this, so this is just like very, very, a very mechanical approach, which I would have polished a lot more. Um, the, the idea was uh, before the fall, it was a shorter version of a feature film called After the Fall, right? Okay. And you don't need to watch both of them. Uh, and, you know, After the Fall starts, you know, of course, after the ELE. But the thing is, also with the same kind of characters, same human stories. And I would also hint at the fact that the characters of the short film have died. You know, even though they tried, they died because it's a reality. It's just like too many people died. And so uh, I'll do this. I'll just make Before the Fall. And then I'll say, you see this, this emotions, macro things I've been doing with the tsunami and the, the child's boots or the cross-cutting and this paranoia and the chaos. And then I would just say that that will be the same emotions, you know, over two hours. So if you like this one, if you like the look of this one even, I can guarantee I can I will do the same on the feature length. The, you said the feature was called After the Fall, so that would be like yeah. a post-apocalyptic thing. Yes, exactly, exactly. But and then the good thing is that I'm using the the pre uh, the pre, the moment before because it's highly it's very dramatic, so I, kind of as a bait to guarantee that I can maintain that drama after, right? I dig that. That makes um, a lot of sense. Gabriel, yeah. you talked about being alone, feeling alone. I don't mean to do this to you, but I think we're kind of out of time. I'm so sorry. This <laughs> oh, no. time went by so fast. Uh. <laughs> Well, I'll just maybe I'll just say one last thing is that well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Thank I love you. Doing this kind of stuff, I don't really have the occasion to you know uh, speak to people in Ohio. So. Oh, sure, you're welcome. <laughs> so, please, quick shout out to all the people in Ohio. Thank you. Aww, <laughs> yeah, that's so sweet. nice. Um, and keep watching films, and I believe cinema is for everyone. But I believe that cinema doesn't have to be, you know, too intellectual or too dumb. It can be both. Yeah. I really think so. Yeah, I totally uh, I agree think with movies that. Movies should make you feel and think, uh, and if you can do both, great. Right? Have fun. Also, come back with a, a new question, or you learn something. Well, the very last thing is that if there's somebody who wants to get in touch with you about your work, what's the best way for them to contact you? Uh, well, they can go to my website. Um, it's my first name and last name. So Gabriel Galland, G-A-L-A-N-D. Uh, and they can also go to my Instagram. It's also first name and last name, Twitter. Uh, first name, last name, Gabriel, you know, at Gabriel Galland. And I'll be more than more than happy to answer any questions or talk about anything. Awesome. 
Gabriel, thank you so much for your time. We really, really appreciate it. Sure. Thank you. Hopefully, I'll have another film to speak about later. Yes, please. Yeah. Absolutely. Keep us in touch about everything. Yes. Thank you so much. Thanks, awesome. Gabriel. Bye. Boy, that is a busy and creative dude. I love listening to the way he approaches all of these things. People who like love working with the big concept, big picture type things. Yeah. Very, very intriguing to me. And very and like he has a real good eye and thought toward element of stuff. Right. Like yes. it's, it's not about the spectacle really. That is just in service to the story that he wants to tell. Right. And more than the fact that he's like jumping countries to figure out what the story oh, right, he wants Mitchie. to tell actually is. I think that's super cool. It's really, really impressive. That's a lot. I also can't get over the fact that he's in the middle of a lake while he's talking to us. He could hear the squeaking from like pedals and I don't know, life jackets or something. I mean, the only thing, so really technically the only other, we, we, air is left. We've covered somebody traveling on the ground, somebody traveling by water. <laughs> we just need to get a hold of somebody like in a helicopter oh, someday and we'll be set. Oh gosh. Wow. So squad goals out there for all you writers that are listening and looking to submit. Um, um, well, thank you for tuning in, listeners. If you're interested in submitting your story to us, you can do so on scriptshopshow.com slash submit or via Film Freeway. Look us up at Script Shop. We'd love to see what you've got. Um, remember, you can always do a shout out to us or hashtag hot burrito oh to get your script up in front of our face ASAP. That will put you to the front of the line. I love... <laughs> Not gonna say what I was gonna I, say. You know, I think I knew we were exactly thinking the exact same thing. And if if a hot burrito is in the mix, maybe you do want to be in the front of the line. Where I think we were all going with that. Yep. There we go. <laughs> well, thanks everybody. Um, if you would like to leave us a rating on iTunes or Facebook, we would love that. You can also connect with us via Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. I am at your bestie, B E S T I E, Westie, W E S T I E on Twitter, and Jack is. Uh, at Script Shop Jack. So until next week, friends, that's a wrap. Script Shop was created by Allison West, hosted by Allison West and Jack Crumley, produced by Frank Steele. Thanks to iHeartMedia Cincinnati for use of their studio. Intro music, Retro Soul by bensound.com. Outro music by purple-planet.com. Special thanks to all our guests. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.